This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Buck Sexton in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck program. We're joined now by Ann Coulter, who has tons of bestsellers, including Adios America and her latest, uh, E Pluribus Awesome, In Trump We Trust. And great to have you. Great to be here, Buck. Uh, so have you gotten tired yet of people telling you uh, you were right? How did you know? All that sort of stuff. Do you have like a special mailbox you've set up just for all of that? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Or in uh, Trump's America, I wake up every day with a smile on my face. <laughs> what do you think of Trump going in to meet with all these media bigwigs yesterday? And from what the reports are, at least, giving them, I think, what you could call a piece of his mind. It's fantastic. It's like Christmas every day. Um, they really deserve it. Uh, the media has just decided to or had decided to completely sacrifice its credibility. And what did they get out of it? They didn't elect Hillary anyway. Um, I've, I've, I've never seen anything like this. I've read about the Goldwater era and the McCarthy era. It's nothing like what they threw at Trump. And then they have the audacity to sit back and say, oh, it's our fault. We created him. No, you, they lied nonstop. I mean, just to take um, two... Two, and I, I have a lot of these in my book, In Trump We Trust, um, but two examples. One is the, the really vicious and ugly claim being made to this day that Donald Trump mocked a disabled man. Uh, as this website, I, I write about it in my book before these, these videos had come out, um, because I found it highly implausible, even without the rock-solid proof that it's a lie. Um, for one thing, um, he was he was um, Trump was flailing his arms and his mouth was hanging open, and he good, had good reason to attack the reporter who denied his own reporting about Muslims celebrating the 9/11 attack. The Washington Post fact checker, just to give you the background, the Washington Post fact checker had given um, Donald Trump four Pinocchios for claiming Muslims in New Jersey celebrated after 9/11. Uh, their position was absolutely no Muslims uh, had celebrated. Um, and then, you know, slowly reports came in where there are provably hundreds of Muslims celebrating in New Jersey and, and the boroughs around New York. Um, so that was, once again, the media pretending not to understand a figure of speech. Uh, I noticed they were doing it for something again today. <laughs> you know, right. if I say you, I called you a thousand times, that doesn't literally mean a thousand times. But um, from, from the Washington Post's own reporting, I mean, they put... All, they, the um, Glenn Kessler, um, Mr. Fact Checker at the Post, claimed he had put his whole team on this. But, you know, how do you prove 
the, the donut hole. There's nothing there. Um, so, so Donald Trump produces an article from the Washington Post itself about a week after 9-11 saying that, that Muslims had celebrated in, in New Jersey. And the reporter of that article, to curry favor with, with his media bosses, denied his own reporting said that the report was not true. So that was the report he, he was attacking, but the point is his disability is almost exactly the opposite of what Trump was doing. The reporter's uh, wrists are locked in place. He's, he's not epileptic. He doesn't flail around. And then Catholics for Truth came out, and this is the proof positive, that shows not only was the media lying, but they knew they were lying um, and were going out of their way to hide their lies. Um, Catholics for Truth put up these videos of Trump doing the exact same imitation in that same speech of a flustered general. There's another one of, of Trump doing the exact same imitation of a flustered Ted Cruz. He even does the exact same imitation of himself being flustered. And when Catholics for Truth posted this comment on a Washington Post article, this is the proof, the consciousness of guilt part, posted, um, well, actually, this is just how Donald Trump does a flustered person, as you can see in this video from the same speech. The Washington Post took that comment down. There was nothing offensive about it. Um, <laughs> there, there, there were no, you know, anti-Semitic slurs or, or racism or anything. It was just... You mean there weren't the flustered video. generals? There weren't flustered generals all across the country who were saying, how dare you? <laughs> And that just, I mean, that shows consciousness of guilt. They didn't want anyone to see that video. And much more quickly, I would just say, um, I mean, even liberals are now admitting the, the claim that, that Trump was saying, and it is repeated as if it's a fact to this day, that um, Trump was referring to Megyn Kelly's period when he said blood was coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. You know, come on, in the same interview, he said essentially the same thing about Charles Krauthammer. Right? Wait, but and, and there's, there's more recent media stuff that I want to ask you about, yes. like the big meeting, uh, the huge meeting of white nationalists in D.C. getting a lot of attention the last couple of days um i i think that i think they might have had enough for a full softball match <laughs> yes. oh my gosh buck this is so insane these irrelevant people holding an irrelevant meeting and and by the way with absolutely zero connection to donald trump or anyone on his team or anyone who might possibly be on his team and this is covered um like, like it is, is a serious, like it is a thing that he has to, the fact that he hasn't denounced it, I've seen on cable news, is evidence in and of itself that Trump isn't hard enough on white supremacists. It's, so it's madness. This is what they're saying. We've got to start demanding denunciations um, from, why, why isn't, I mean, Democrats are repeatedly endorsed by the Communist Party USA. Um, they are repeatedly, when they run for president, endorsed by uh, communist dictators. Willie Horton endorsed Michael Dukakis. My guess is he was voting for Hillary. Can we get endorsements for the, for, or disavowals for all of that? It's just so crazy how they have to go. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure David Duke even exists, um, as, as I've written. I think he is, um, this is a myth, because the only time you hear about him is every four years when Democrats, or rather, excuse me, the media demand that the Republican running for president disavow this irrelevant man. Now, we have the Trump administration getting a fair amount of heat continuously from the media about not denouncing these kinds of things. I just want to know, do, do you think at some point they will tire of this? Because I thought that the, 
uh, protesters, the people that are already upset about a Trump administration that hasn't even come into being yet. <laughs> I, I've actually walked through some of these protests where it seems like they just want to spew profanity and yell things about how Trump won. They're very upset. Do they get tired or is, are, are we looking at four years of Trump is the reason for the rise of white nationalism? And, oh, there was a conference of 50 of them. Didn't you hear about it somewhere? <laughs> is this ever going to get old for them or is this the playbook? Apparently it's not. I must say, Buck, at first I was a little bit worried. You know, don't criticize them too much because this is really not helping them. Um, but no, I mean, I think we can make fun of them until the cows come home and they will not stop. The, the, the Democratic Party moved from a normal political party to more of an um, elitist celebrity coastal lifestyle party um, about 30 years ago, and they really just do not care about getting votes from anyone who isn't already, you know, a millennial or a celebrity. And uh, you've probably talked to people, I've talked to people who, um, for various reasons, perhaps some of them were Democrats, some just didn't, didn't like Trump, um, didn't vote for Trump. And having seen the way the left is reacting, if they could vote now, they'd vote for Trump. Yeah, the biggest advertisement for a Trump vote that I've yet come across is the way that everybody on the left has has reacted in response to the Trump victory. Are you having any success, by the way, in calming people down? I live in New York. I know you spend a fair amount of time in New York. I have intelligent, well-intentioned friends who were very pro-Hillary, and, and they're actually afraid. And I keep trying to tell them, why are you afraid? What are you afraid of? It's, I'm, it's, it's going to be okay. I don't know what else to say. I don't have the afraid ones. Um, I do have the ones who, who didn't, didn't vote for Trump. Um, but I think what will prove it in the end, and I have told, I mean, just, you know, even random people I run into on the plane who will tell me they're afraid. Uh, those are the, that's where I run into the afraid, afraid ones. Um, don't worry. Um, what, what is going to redeem Donald Trump, if he, unless, Unless he doesn't pursue anything, he was saying, and I don't think that's the case. I think we're getting a wall. He's already said he's going to scuttle these job-killing trade deals. Um, I think he, if, if he pursues, you know, half of his program, although I hope he's not listening because I want him to pursue 100% of it, but um, if he pursues half of it, it is going to be so great for the country. This is the Republican candidate or Democratic candidate. I've been waiting for my entire life, at least on the issues and the policies that, you know, drop the obsession. And, and I love tax cuts. I, 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 I think it's bad for the government to take so much of our money. It, it's very controlling. And, and I think people can spend it better. Don't get me wrong on this. But uh, this Republican obsession with tax cuts as the be all end all of a booming economy, you know, how does that help people without jobs? Meanwhile, we have lived in a country where middle class and working class wages have been flat or going down for the past 30 years. We have hollowed out the industrial base of America. We have the working class competing with both legal and illegal low-wage workers, um, um, immigrants coming in. Um, just to get, first, let's, let's get the jobs back. Um, and I might add, I love that Trump did not come out for, for cutting entitlements, the, the, the passion of the Paul Ryan types. Um, how about we start with not allowing um, immigrants to come in and immediately start collecting Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security and, and, and see how much money we have left over to pay for Americans who have paid into it their entire lives. 
One more for you, Ann, and then we'll uh, let you go. I know you're busy. We're talking to Ann Coulter, author of In Trump We Trust, E Pluribus Awesome. Uh, what did you think about the little lecture that Hamilton gave Mike Pence over the weekend? And also, have you seen Hamilton, and what are your thoughts on it, if you have? I have not. I find it curious that um, we live in such a PC world that the only way we can honor the founders is if they're in blackface. We'll start with that, so I don't care about people telling me, oh, it's so great and it's historical. I wasn't all that interested in seeing it to begin with. And the lecture from the stage, this is exactly what I mean. They cannot learn. They're in this bubble. They will not reconsider because, wow, every place that guy goes, he's going to get a standing ovation. But, you know, I always think of it when you watch Hollywood movies, TV shows, one classic genre is the brave and righteous man against an angry mob, from To Kill a Mockingbird to Tina Fey's Mean Girls. But then whenever it comes to real life, look who the mean girls is. That isn't a dialogue. That, that isn't a political discussion. That is humiliating the vice president-elect in front of a cheering crowd. Liberals are always the mob. They are always the mean girls. Ann Coulter, author of In Trump We Trust, E Pluribus Awesome, and Adios America. And thanks for joining. Good to talk to you, Buck. Bye-bye. Buck Sexton and for Glenn, we'll be back in a few. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine, and they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn, $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. Glenn Beck Program. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck Program. Wanted to take some calls. 888-727-BECK is the number. We have uh, Gerald in Pennsylvania. Gerald, you're on the Glenn Beck Program. You are speaking to Buck. Hey, how you doing? Good, sir. How are you? Good. i got to take you off speaker here. Hey, uh, the Thank you for that. The topic with the racism came up today, and... One of the reasons I voted for Trump, believe it or not, was a Dan Rather interview I saw on Access TV. And it was curious. They were interviewing someone from the Southern Poverty Law Center who was trying to make a point that Trump was a racist, but in the sentence said that Trump didn't run in 2000 under the Reform Party because that was David Duke's party. He wanted nothing to do with being associated with that. And I'm wondering why the snippet doesn't come up and we don't see it more often. 
because I don't know how many times you have to disavow someone. And I was not a Trump supporter, but seeing that kind of put me, said, okay, I feel a little bit safer here. I, I do re- recall that. It, it's come up, but the media has spent very little time reminding people that Trump denounced David Duke uh, many years ago. He said in, in 2000, he, many years ago when he ran for president. So he's been on record for a long time saying David Duke is uh, a disgusting and disgraceful uh, person. So they just keep asking him. And then finally, he doesn't, he doesn't denounce quickly enough or he, he sort of stumbles in an interview and says, I have to look into that. And the next day he denounces and they say, oh, well, he doesn't denounce. Well, I mean, he's been denouncing for 15 or 16 years. I mean, look, I just, I just don't buy, I've had plenty of uh, time, I've spent plenty of time criticizing Trump. I'm well aware of the uh, flip-flops. I'm well aware of all, all the lack of conservative principle. I get all of that. But is he a racist? No. Don't believe he's a racist. Sorry. Right. So, uh, right. and, and, the, the, and the media is not trying to convince me he's not conservative. He's going to sell you out. He's a flip-flopper. He's not, uh, he's not even really a Republican. They're just trying to convince us that he's a racist and a sexist. That's it. There's the, that, that's been the entire focus. And I think that's part of why they failed. Right. And I think a lot of this, I have friends that are um, college educators. And one of the things I'm hearing from them is that their students are absolutely afraid, like literally afraid. And I keep hearing the word fear. But my thought goes back to that's because you keep telling them to be afraid. Uh, and no one's listening. No one's hearing. No one wants to be empathetic to any other side when you're afraid and you get stuck in your own echo chamber. And I think that there is that that helps to create the division and the foment the division. I mean, I, I know people are saying things like they, they'll say they're they're afraid. Then we ask, well, afraid of of what? And you will get some answers sometimes, but generally it's just uh, this sort of anxiety that has set into people's minds. And in part, it's because that there are a lot of people with platforms, a lot of members of, of the media, a lot of writers, journalists, pundits, who are, I think, themselves convinced that something terrible is going to befall the country now. And so that then filters down. And a lot of other people buy into it as well. But uh, they're ter- it's going to be so terrible if we get out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. People live in fear of that. I mean, we, it, this is a, a deal that would have just, it's just gone into effect the last, or we've just been talking about it over the last year. Well, what's going to, we'll be okay, is what I keep trying to tell people. It, it will be all right. Um, but that makes you well, seem in the eyes of... I think that with the, 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 the far left had actually supported Bernie Sanders, and that was his position, if I'm not mistaken. So Yeah, why Bernie, Bernie and Trump had a lot of crossover on trade, and much of the white working class um, felt a sort of affinity for both the Trump and Bernie campaigns. You remember there was that point in time where people are saying, hold on a second, how can you have the self-described democratic socialist and the sort of ultra-capitalist Donald Trump uh, meeting on some things and their supporters agreeing? And that's, it, was on, it was on trade, economic issues, and, and really jobs in the economy. Uh, but, uh, Gerald, thank you very much for calling in. Good to talk to you. Uh, Greg, in Florida, you are on the Glenn Beck program. You are speaking to Buck. Hey, good morning. Oh, morning. yeah, I'm down here in sunny Florida. We had to put jackets on this morning. It dropped into the 50s. It's crazy. But Thank you for the The reason update. I called, um, I've been a real estate developer in St. Louis uh, and uh, an entrepreneur my whole life. And I've, I've, I've known people like Trump, not on that level. But here's a, here's a guy that is bringing us back from the precipice of economic disaster, <clears throat> and people are fearful. I don't get it. But I said from the beginning, Ann Coulter was funny when she said she didn't think David Duke was a 
a real person. They just roll them out every so often and uh, have them have them uh, support somebody that we we want to think is despicable, you know, by by association. Um, that was funny. But um, here's here's I said from the very beginning that the both parties and the media was going to go after Trump with everything they had to vilify him because they're terrified that somebody's going to get in there and upset their entrenched interest by the special interest groups and the pe- the powers that, that well, be. Yeah, Greg, the worst thing that can happen for the Democratic Party under a Trump administration is that he does well. The worst well, thing that can is. possibly happen yeah. is that some of these things that he's promising to do, specifically on the economy, will have a an obviously positive impact. Because then they can call him a racist till they're you know uh, till the, the cows come home. Who cares? It's not going to be enough if he is successful with the implementation of some of his ideas. Thank you for calling in, Buck Sexton, and for Glenn. We've got a lot more. Going to talk about some national security. Be right back. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn Beck today. We are talking a bit about national security coming up here. We will do it in what we call a Buck Brief. You are entering the Blaze Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the Buck Brief. Michael Pregent joins us now. He's an adjunct fellow at the Hudson Institute, where he's a senior Middle East analyst, and he's also a former military intelligence officer. Great to have you, Michael. Thanks for calling in. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right. The effort to take Mosul back from the Islamic State is now many weeks underway. What is the latest in this battle against ISIS on the ground in northern Iraq? Well, it's slowed down to a crawl. Um, as uh, the Iraqi security forces are starting to enter from the east, they're encountering a lot of resistance, but they're not getting the U.S. Uh, air uh, support or artillery support that they had counted on, and that's because the United States is not going to provide artillery and air support to a predominantly Shia force as they enter a predominantly Sunni town uh, where there's still a population of almost a million people still there. So that's why it's slowed down to a crawl. And the, so far, the, the humanitarian issues that have been concerns uh, leading up to this about refugees fleeing the area, uh, the numbers are, are surging. Are they able, are the uh, proper authorities and resources in place to try to handle the, the outflow of refugees or are they becoming overwhelmed? Well, they're already becoming overwhelmed. I think there's 50,000 refugees that have, that have left Mosul so far, um, and they are running out of food supplies of some of these organizations. But what's more telling is the direction in which the refugee flow is going. The refugees aren't going to the, to the west, where the Shia militias are. They're not going to the south, where the Iraqi military is. They're preferring to go to places where the Peshmerga 
our control of territory because the Peshmerga have a heavier U.S. presence, and they believe that the U.S. can actually act as a guarantor, but they don't feel necessarily the same way about uh, moving towards uh, predominantly uh, Shia forces. Uh, and one of the one of the things we're we're seeing is when CNN, Fox, BBC report on this. They're, they're saying that the Iraqi military is separating the women and children from the men. Now, that is a normal process, a process that is more comfortable when the U.S. is doing the vetting along with Peshmerga to make sure that any military-aged male who's actually affiliated with ISIS is, is screened out. The problem is when the Iraqi security forces do this, or when the Shia militias do this, they basically say that any Sunni military-aged male is likely to collaborate with ISIS. And we've seen people disappeared off the battlefield in Fallujah, Ramadi, and Tikrit when the Shia militias and the predominantly Shia Iraqi military are left in charge of this process. Now, as U.S. support directly to the Peshmerga is, is limited, because we don't want to be, well, we don't want to be, one, taking any casualties, but also we don't want to be too close to uh, some of, some of the, the battle. They want it to be an Iraqi-led force, and they want the tip of the spear to be Iraqi as much as possible. The Shia militias, it seems, are going to be more heavily utilized in this process, which could bring about some serious sectarian tension. What I'm looking at now is that you look at the forces that are participating in the Mosul operation. It's a counterterrorism service. A lot of these guys are already bandaged from previous battles. They're going in with wounds that they sustained fighting into Crete, Ramadi, and Fallujah. They're taxed. These guys are tired. Uh, they're effective, but they're, they're just over overstretched. The 15th Iraqi Army was was our 15th Iraqi Army Division is out of Baghdad. So this is, these are all uh, Shia uh, soldiers. A lot of them affiliated with Jaysh al Mehdi, Muqtad al-Sadr's group. The 9th Iraqi Ar- Army Division is is all Shia. Now, notice I just talked about the Iraqi Army units. They're already heavily infiltrated with militias, except they wear uniforms. They're still flying sectarian flags. Now, the Shia militias in the West, as they move to Talafar, uh, they're going in, and they're, they're starting to cause some problems there. What I'm looking at now is where do these Shia militias put their artillery and their rockets? Because the United States and the coalition is not going to blow up civilian neighborhoods like the Iraqi military and the militias did in Fallujah and Ramadi. So if you keep track of these Shia militias where they put their artillery and rockets, That'll be very telling, because as they move into range of Mosul, they will start hitting these neighborhoods where these population centers uh, are still uh, in play. Is there any sense uh, that you've picked up from your contacts on the ground that the Sunni Arabs who live in Mosul, a city which no one really knows how many people live there now, but it's, in the past it's been about a million people, uh, do you get any sense from, from those who are in contact with Sunni Arabs there that they feel like it's a good thing, obviously, that the Islamic State is hopefully going to lose uh, control of Mosul within weeks, maybe months. Uh, but it's certainly taken a very long time for the Iraqi government to get the, to this point. It feels like a, a, an unacceptable delay, despite the fact that we should be, it, it's a positive development that this is happening. It took, what, two years? Well, I, I would argue we never really um, defeated or controlled Mosul uh, when the U.S. was there. We developed networks. We developed relationship with tri- relationships with tribal leaders. We built a Sunni intelligence network, and we slowly used uh, an intelligence-backed uh, strategy to decimate al-Qaeda leadership, which led to their demise using the Sons of Iraq and the Awakening. 
I think that this is a great opportunity to do that, put that back in play now. Um, obviously, you're not going to be able to take Mosul if the civilian population stays there and the U.S. is unwilling to provide air support and artillery. And you just don't do that because of the indiscriminate targeting and the civilian casualties. Now is the time to slow it down, start developing Sunni sources, have them provide intelligence because they've been doing that. They've given intelligence to the Peshmerga and, the, and some of the Iraqi security forces that have pinpointed ISIS locations that have allowed U.S. airstrikes to come in. I think right now, if, if I was able to advise somebody on it, I'd say let's slow it down. Let's make it an intelligence-driven operation that empowers the Sunni population in Mosul with manpower and intel to, to, to go after ISIS and then create that political space for them to start building trust with Baghdad again. But that requires huge leverage on our part uh, with Baghdad to increase that leverage, to pull those, those levers to make sure that we uh, make Baghdad a government that the Sunni population Iraq can trust again. And that's going to be the hardest challenge. And this clearing operation, your expectation, Michael, is that this will last months at this point? Well, well there'll be a, uh, there could be a PR victory where they say, hey, listen, we replaced the flag in the center of Mosul and we've defeated ISIS. Because if you look at Ramadi, Fallujah, and Tikrit, that's exactly what happened. But if you look at any of those three cities today, you'll still see that there are ISIS networks um, active and that they're still be able to conduct high-profile attacks to include Baghdad. So there, there can be a victory that the media celebrates that ISIS has been defeated in Mosul, and I would argue that that isn't going to happen until uh, the Sunni population in northern Iraq trusts Baghdad. So I see this going on for a while. Uh, like I said, uh, we were there from from 03 to, to 11, and there were still pockets of resistance in Mosul, and they just chose not to uh, attack us. Uh, Michael, switching gears one more with one more question for you. You're former U.S. military. What do you think about the likely pick of General Mattis for Secretary of Defense? I love the pick. I hope he takes it because he balances everything that people are worried about with the Trump administration. He's hard on Russia. He's hard on Iran. He's pragmatic. He believes that the use of military force needs to be one where you only put the military in if you want to win and you're going to empower them to win. I, I hope he takes the position. He'd be a, a great voice, a great pragmatic voice, a well-respected voice, and I think he would he would uh, stay the concerns of, of most Middle Eastern leaders on what the next administration looks like over the next four years. Michael Parisian is an adjunct fellow at the Hudson Institute. Mike, always great to have you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for calling in. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. 888-727-BECK. Buck Sexton in for Glenn. We'll be back in a few. The Glenn Beck Program. Stream the show live on iHeartRadio or listen later on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Mercury. Seven two seven back. This is the Glenn Beck program. So Hampshire College. It's just down the road from where I went to school at, at Amherst College, but uh, Hampshire did something pretty. Uh, oof, even for Hampshire, 
The day after the election, this is the Washington Post, some people at Hampshire College reacted to the news of Donald Trump's victory by calling for the removal of the American flag at the center of campus, saying it was a symbol of racism and hatred. Uh, That night, some lowered it, and the following night, sometime before dawn, on Veterans Day, people burned it. So you have Hampshire College doing that. I don't know if you saw this, but last night, uh, there was actually... A uh, an exchange between and then and then Hampshire now I think has has gotten rid of all American flags on campus. This is how they're dealing with this. Look, it's a pretty it's a pretty hippie-ish place. Um, not even sure if that's the proper description of it. When I was at Amherst College, we used to call it Hampshire. I'm just saying. Uh, they also have politics that are off the. They're not even left. They're kind of off the spectrum. They're in a whole other a whole other planet. There was a, an exchange last night, I saw it on Fox, on uh, Tucker Carlson's new show with a student from Hampshire College, and uh, they were discussing this issue, where Hampshire College has removed American flags uh, after Donald Trump's... They, they've just gotten rid of all of them now, because they're worried that people are going to, uh, people are going to burn them, that they'll be... And, and other people view it, and I mean students on the campus, view this as some form of... Uh, uh, it's, it's like a symbol of oppression, something along those lines. How do people get to this level of lunacy with their politics at such a young age? It's an interesting question, isn't it? You, you look at some of these schools and the way that they view their own history. And uh, Hampshire's a great example of this. You've got kids who are, I guess, young adults, if we're going to be proper, uh, who are spending close to $60,000 a year to go to a school like that. It's a private, you know, it's a private college. And they think that the American flag is a symbol of oppression. When I was at Amherst, there was, at a meeting of students for actual healing, like now they have meetings to heal because of Trump's victory, but this was right after September 11th. I was in college. And some students from Hampshire College came over to our school and rolled out American flags and burned them because I suppose to them after 9-11 they wanted to make the point that America brought this on itself with its imperialistic policies and and they were talking about Native Americans and the genocide and uh, South America and Pinochet I mean all this stuff was sort of thrown in there this is right after 9-11 there's a flag burning I'll never forget it flag burning on my campus and What's fascinating to me is that you have professors, the cowardice that will be on display for some of these things. Professors will say, well, they have a right to do this. And yes, legally speaking, technically speaking, they're correct. But usually professors on these campuses will shout down anything. I mean, you use the wrong pronoun for somebody, you do anything that in any way, shape, or form uh, could be considered offensive, and there'll be professors doing a walkout. Supreme Court Justice Scalia, may rest in peace, he came to speak at my school and the entire political science department except for one, or maybe two, but one of them was my advisor, boycott his speech, refused to go. This is the political science department at a school that thinks itself fancy. They didn't want to hear a sitting Supreme Court justice address the college campus. This stuff is just out of control. But at Hampshire, it it goes beyond just childish and it goes beyond uh, wrong-headed and wrong-thinking to bizarre to completely outside of what would be considered uh, rational or, or reasonable. 
uh, and they think that burning flags, well, burning flags is a way to show their disapproval of Trump's victory. On top of that, their answer to it is to pull down all flags. Um, and they were even, uh, even willing to, on Veterans Day, destroy flags. I, I don't know how we can reach these students. I don't know how we can get them to better understand how off they are, how wrong they are when it comes to all these things. Uh, I would just say that if you watched last night, it was some very interesting TV. Uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox going up against this Hampshire College student. He, he was perfectly polite to him, just asked him questions. And the Hampshire kid is making a mockery of himself, but he loves it because he thinks that this is what intelligent, uh, thoughtful people say about the world. And what we've seen is that this has gone well beyond college campuses. This is not just a campus phenomenon anymore. Many in the media seem to take a, not quite as extreme as Hampshire College, but a, a anti-American point of view on our foreign policy or a blame America first point of view on our foreign policy. Um, and they will defend this kind of behavior. They will shout down so much else that will happen on campuses. And we, we'll, there are all these lectures about campus rape culture and patriarchy. And, you know, the media is constantly fo- the federal government, the Obama administration gets involved in that stuff. But when it comes to getting rid of all American flags from a campus, this is just what they've decided to do um, because they think that the flag is a sign, or some students think it's a sign of oppression and so they burn it. You would think it would be a moment for at least one professor. And we would see it, right? Because it would be taped with a phone and put on YouTube to bring all these kids together and be like, you know what? Show some respect, you bunch of babied punks. Respect the flag. Respect the flag. 